Hello. Hi, Mom. I was just thinking about you. Cool. So you listened to the interview with Kabir. I did. What do you think is interesting about this one? His company produces products that help other companies maintain the trustworthiness of their information and their products like security, truthfulness, like ethical issues. Am I right about that? Yep. Mm -hmm. He talks about how the narrative that they came up with, it just changed the dynamic for them seem to open up their minds to new things. They came up with all kinds of thinking about how to add to the product. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And also, I liked how his first conversation with you, you showed up sweaty from Ultimate Frisbee. I was afraid that I would offend him, but then I felt like, well, if I offend him, maybe it's not the right fit. Yeah, he liked that you were a down-to-earth guy. Yeah. Did you bring a brush to comb your hair? Oh, you don't have hair to comb. This is The Bigger Narrative. I'm Andy Raskin. You know, there's several points along the company building journey where CEOs tend to reach out to me. One is when the company scales from a single product to a multi-product portfolio. And a great example of a CEO in that category, and I'm thrilled to have him as my guest for this episode, is Kabir Bardet, CEO of OneTrust, one of the fastest growing SaaS companies of all time. Kabir founded OneTrust in 2016 to serve the emerging market for data privacy. They made it easy to flash that screen that gives your users control over what data they share and then monitor your use of that data, make sure you're conforming to what's been agreed, what's allowed by law. By 2022, OneTrust had raised more than $500 million from investors like SoftBank and Insight Partners. And that's when Kabir reached out to me. I'll let him explain why. We found you, Andy, at a really interesting time in our journey. We had grown really, really fast. faster than almost any other enterprise software company had at the time. And we had expanded into a really vast portfolio of capabilities as part of really our evolution from a product company to a platform company. And as we expanded those capabilities, some through acquisition, some through organic, we we did them very naturally. And they all made a lot of sense one at a time. But when you took a step back and looked at the whole thing, we kind of said, wow, this thing became really complex and hard to explain. You know, we had almost like a a wheel of fortune diagram on our slide deck that shows the 20 different capabilities, spin the wheel, which one do you want? And it just wasn't brought together in a story. And so our reps were all pitching individual siloed capabilities, which actually forced the altitude of our conversations to be really low level in an organization um, with less budget, less influence, only focused on one part of our product. We also were entering a new chapter as a company where we were looking at crossover investors that were looking at us going public and what that would look like. And they're looking more for a narrative, more for the story. And we just found ourselves missing the mark. And we said, wow, we have such a great product set. How come it's just starting to not land? So you contacted me and I was going to an ultimate Frisbee game when we had our call scheduled. I had forgotten that I had scheduled at the same time. And so I had to either skip the game and be in my office dressed nicely for you or go to the game and leave for a few minutes and go into my car sweaty and talk to you. And I've made a big deal on LinkedIn about this. About, you know, I'm going to go sweaty. And if the guy can't handle it, well, maybe we're not a good fit. And uh, I don't 
I don't think you even noticed it. How, how was that for you? Well, like- yeah, it, it didn't phase me. And the truth is that I'm a first time founder and CEO. I'm looking at LinkedIn at the following you have, the types of CEOs you work with. And so I was also a little bit nervous. I'm like, wow, I'm meeting <laughs> with this great luminary. I've heard so many people talk about you. I'm like, oh, man. And I was at a conference taking the call from a hotel lobby. And I was like, oh, man, this is going to make me look so silly, like distracted in this lobby. And so I was very, very relieved when you showed up and you were a normal guy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think we both felt from that call. It was a really good fit. So let's talk about the narrative. Like, how were you talking about the company before? We literally were just listing out the three or four or sometimes even five most dominant parts of our product. And people would ask us, what do we do? And we'd say, well, we're a privacy, security, third-party risk, data governance, ethics company. (laughs) (laughs) It was just getting confusing because we were educated enough about the market to know why all those pieces fit together. But to everyone else, it seemed random. And And we're just losing credibility and actually starting to look like we were just all over the place because we couldn't tell our own story. And then where did you get to? How do you talk to people about the company now? Look, society has recalibrated on what good looks like for business. And above all else, it's trust. Can I trust you with my data? Can I trust your ethics? Can I trust you're doing good for people in the planet? And so to turn trust from this abstract concept to a measurable competitive advantage, organizations are shifting from tactical compliance initiatives to a strategy of trust intelligence. Just for folks who are less familiar with this space, tactical compliance initiatives was this old mindset where you have a data privacy initiative, a security posture, an ethics policy, but they're all independent. And what you're saying is now the winners see that you have to like intelligently automate the way these things interact with each other. Exactly. Yeah. How is that story resonating with the people that you're telling it to? When we're talking to a CIO, a COO, a CFO, a CISO, board members, wow, does trust intelligence just hit them right in the chest? And this is so real for them. And similarly with our investors. And you hear about, in the media, trust crises. And you hear about Edelman's trust barometer at Davos. That's the level that this is hitting at. And that was our goal, up-level the conversation. The other interesting thing about the timing, Andy, is we had already hired an agency to help us with a category. So we had hired this consulting company. We came up with the name Trust Management. And you brought up in the middle of one of our first or second meetings, and you had the tenacity to just suggest something different than what we had just spent a million dollars putting together (laughs) with this agency. And I was really nervous to see if my team would be open to it. And to my surprise, I think to your surprise also, my chief marketing officer, who is absolutely amazing, did customer interviews and she herself came back to us and said, yeah, let's change it. Great. And it yeah. was yeah. a really special moment. Yeah. Yeah. And you know that intelligence thing, I see a lot of companies using it, especially after Gong used revenue intelligence, like this intelligence, that intelligence. But I think specifically for you, it really does follow from the narrative because there's a lot of intelligence involved in what you're building. And I think people often focus on this category name, this like two or three word descriptor. It's going to express our differentiation. And I like to think of it the other way. Like, let's get the narrative first and then see if, if that resonates and then come up with a descriptor that follows from that. It's resonating well for the audiences we wanted to cap. But there have been some nuances we've learned. And you and I have talked about this yeah. before our follow-up calls. Our market is 
so new and so early and so evolving. So the challenge is if you go all in on that pitch and you're talking to someone that's just running a privacy program or just running an ethics program, just one piece, they're like, I have one job. This might seem too big for me mm-hmm. or might be. So we've learned that in those calls, you still have to use trust intelligence as our story, our category and advantage. You got to pare it down mm-hmm. and, and then also almost have a mini version of old game, new game for their specific product line. This is such a common challenge that I find companies face. We're growing, like you said, from one product to a platform or suite of products, yeah. whatever that is. And we want this high level narrative to tie them all together. But what about that situation where we're still just selling the one product? Yeah. Now we've got this whole scaffolding of this whole story that feels like maybe it's unnecessary. The solution is, I think, what you're alluding to, which is how do we talk about how this domain is shifting framed by the larger story about how the world is shifting in our narrative? So just to give an example here, like digital privacy, how does that shift in a world that shifts from tactical compliance initiatives to trust intelligence? Tell me about that. I mean, it it cascades down into each of our product lines with a very equivalent story. At a big picture, old game, tactical compliance initiatives, new game strategy of trust intelligence. So if you boil that down into privacy, privacy was seen as a lawyer writing a privacy policy on your website and done. New game, that policy has to be operationalized and embedded in every single thing that you do. And it's too complex to do with just a policy. So it sounds like you're using this narrative when you're talking to investors and in sales at all levels. What kind of role does it play in your leadership beyond that? I think I told you about this in one of our first check-in calls, because as soon as we finished our narrative with you, I kind of disappeared on you for a little bit. And you read in the newspaper, not newspaper, but Google News or whatever you read, um, that we did a massive restructuring. We got caught right in the middle of what high-growth tech companies were in the middle of, which now you got to pivot to profitability and efficiency. We had just released the narrative right before we did the restructuring. And when you're going through that level of change in an organization, your people have to be inspired on what's the future and what's the vision of this company and why should I stick around here? And trust intelligence became that exciting rallying cry. And because there are nine companies and so many of those people were impacted in our restructuring, trust intelligence became a new brand that brought all of us together across all acquisitions on an equal playing foot. It had a really deep and profound unifying element just because of the timing of that. And now beyond that, it also has driven us to think a lot more about our product roadmap, actually. Before our roadmap would drive our marketing messaging and narrative, this changed it. And so now when we look at our product roadmap, we say, wow, this narrative actually is what we're doing and what customers are looking for. So what else fits? this narrative. And it's actually allowed us to see a much bigger market. So it's been super interesting. Huh. Anything you could share, like examples of product you built yeah. or things that, that, are, yeah, that well, came look, out of the narrative? When you think about what impacts trust when it comes to an organization, we talk about four domains, privacy, security, ethics, and ESG. So much more that comes into play when you look at trust. You have all sorts of areas of operational resilience in a business. You have things around DE&I and the ability to have a speak up culture. You have all sorts of things around harassment and bullying and content moderation. You have things around responsible AI and algorithmic bias. We partnered with Deloitte and they put together a trust IQ framework. 
and it's got 17 domains of trust. And so now it allows us to position ourselves at the level that these big four consulting companies are at, flying at a really high altitude, telling a really compelling broad story. Yeah, I hear this from a lot of CEOs that once the narrative starts getting imbued, it starts to drive product roadmap. Yeah, and it's not even anything I have to do. Our own team members are able to use the narrative as a framework for their decision-making. It's really interesting, actually. It's really interesting to see. Wow, that's so cool. So I always ask the CEO to create a small team to work on the narrative. Interviewing customers is part of that. The whole idea is we're gonna align around this narrative over a period of a few weeks and then start testing it out in the world. What was harder than you expected in that process? Oh man, Andy, you know, we as a team, We have so many strong leaders at our company. We have such a good team and I value all of their input and I want them to all speak up and make sure they're all comfortable sharing it. So the downside of that becomes you start to get a lot of feedback and you worry about analysis paralysis and not getting to a decision. And we've struggled with that as a team and had to implement our own frameworks for that. So I was really worried that, wow, now we're in front of this guy that works with all these great CEOs and I'm going to look like we have a team that's just, you know, we have all these ideas, but we can't get to a decision. But you were prepared for that. And actually the structure, I think you're used to probably working with uh, high quality teams with a lot of opinions. And you had this structure you used that, if I may say, you were very rigid with, right? And you let us color outside the line, but you had this format that made me accountable for making the decision at the end of the session. And I thought that was Uh, just really thoughtful because most of the times you'd say, oh, well, let's let the marketing person do it or let's let this person do it. But you put all accountability with me. So I had to show up prepared. I had to do my homework. And that allowed us to make decisions quickly. It was powerful. Yeah. That's great. And and I think that decision around changing the category name was maybe one of the big ones. Big surprise. Yeah. But that's also, Andy, where the customer interviews being real time as part of this process Because you didn't say, hey, go do 50 customer interviews, then let's start it. Or let's do the interviews after we're done to validate it. You said like every week you should be doing more interviews and just constantly be validating. And it just made it obvious. And again, our CMO is doing the interviews herself. And she came back and said, hey, I've been testing out this trust intelligence thing and it lands. Let's change. Since we're talking about her, do you want to say her name? Yeah, Lisa Campbell. She was the first real professional executive, actually, we hired over a year ago. And yeah, she's been amazing. You know, there are some CMOs who would be like, hey, we did this category work and let's not change it. And she was, I think, reasonably wary because they had gone out with a couple of different category names and people gravitated to this trust management. But she really, I think, with an open mind, started going into the customer interviews and started asking people, hey, if we call this trust intelligence, would that make sense? They said, yeah, that that would make sense. And it seemed to start resonating with teams. So I was just really impressed by how open-minded she was to embracing that. Likewise. Yeah. Yeah. Any advice for other CEOs who are thinking about going down a similar path and working on a narrative with their team? Yeah. So I think what worked for us that might be helpful for other CEOs is number one, we did it at the right time in our company maturity journey. We had a real problem we were trying to solve that we said, okay, this narrative is going to solve this problem of 
unifying all these different product lines, up-leveling the conversation and, and being more strategic rather than just being it like a marketing initiative, right? That's not what this was. Really, we need a narrative as a company. And we also did it at an interesting time where we had just hired not the entire management team for our next chapter of our journey, but most of them. And so it almost made it all feel like we have created now something new together. And it's not like some people had stepped in where other people were here from the beginning. And that had a really intangible bond it created that is the unexpected benefit we got from this. That's great. Yeah. And there sometimes people call me like, hey, we're about to hire a CMO or see this or see that. But yeah, let's go ahead and work. And I'm always a little wary because aside from the benefit of just everyone participating, I just think it's really important for the key people on the team to like smell their scent on it, you know, really yeah. be, be part of it. So the other thing, Andy, we did is we had somebody that started that day join as well, if you remember. Who was that? And I'm forgetting. It was, uh, it was, a, it was a gentleman um, named Cliff, who's our general manager for our GRC cloud. Oh, he had yeah, like yeah, right. extensive background. Right. And we added him because number one, we thought it'd be interesting way to like ramp him up and onboard him and help him hear the journey. But from somebody who hasn't been drinking the Kool-Aid like us already, what is he going to call us out on? and be like, guys, you're crazy. You get, let's bring this back to reality. I thought that was a good addition too. Yeah, there's always one person who's that person. Sometimes they're more of literally like a naysayer. I don't think Cliff was like yeah. that, but who no, like yeah. kind of calls everyone out and like, hey, th that sounds like marketing speak or, or yeah. whatever. I think I covered everything I wanted to ask you about, aside from just saying, wow, it was an incredible experience to work with you. You're just so uh, dedicated to leading this thing. Like you said, there's always a lot of disagreement early on in the team. And thank you for saying that my process helped get past that. But I think also your leadership in pushing it forward and, and really working on it was a lot to do with it, too. So thank you. Yeah, thanks for saying that, Andy. Yeah, I mean, it was fun, right? I mean, if you're doing your job right, things should be fun most days. It's not always <laughs> fun, but it should be fun most days. And this was definitely a fun part of the journey and something that... We also learned a lot from your framework and style, not just like collaborate on a messaging document with comments, but really have these structured dialogues. Those are things we're working to embed into our own organization. And I couldn't be happier with the result and the long-term impact it's going to have for us. You know, sometimes people question, is the story really as important as you say? Like, isn't it just embellishment on top of some deeper, more strategic thing? And that gets me questioning it. But then I hear CEOs like Kabir talk about how this simple narrative that takes him just a few seconds to say is like the key to expanding the product roadmap, keeping employees engaged, making sense of the product for investors, for customers. And I go back to believing. The Bigger Narrative is produced and edited by me, Andy Raskin, with music by Stephen Emerson and podcast cover art by Angela May Chen. Carla Borelli inspired the show by telling me I should do it over coffee. Thanks to Kabir Bardet, Lisa Campbell, Blake Brennan, Cliff Huffington, Guido Torini, Kevin Kiley, and everyone at OneTrust. Special thanks also to Judy Raskin, Richard Raskin, Emily Raskin, Eli Raskin, Lenny Richitsky, Pete Crosby, and Carol Wasserman. And remember, the company story is the company strategy. <laughs> <laughs>